we began in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Understand when uh, this, this Bible was written, it was not divided in chapters and verses. Uh, um, it was one letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. So in writing that letter, we are going to uh, look at a few verses here in the fourth chapter and then go into the fifth chapter for one verse uh, and understand that it's the, the fifth chapter is just a continuation of Paul's thought and his writing about the coming of Jesus Christ. So in verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, For if we believe, uh, thank you as you honor the Lord in standing up, uh, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Then chapter 5 verse 4. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Let's pray here tonight. Father we thank you for the word of God. We pray that over the next few moments that you would give us inspiration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you speak to every heart here. Draw us closer to you and help us to recognize the time in which we are in, the nearness of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless this church and every person who is here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are welcome to be seated. As I said to you this morning, uh, we are no longer in the last days. We are in the last of the last days. And I believe that with all of my heart. We are in the last of the last days. Uh, it's time for the church to look up and to lift up their heads for the redemption of the church has drawn near. In just a few moments, uh, I want to come back and share some information with you uh, that I believe speaks to the time that we are in and trust that it will give you a key understanding uh, as to what not only is happening in our world today, but what is going to take place after the church is removed. Uh, and we will reference uh, what is going to happen in Revelation chapter 13 and tie it together with what is happening today. But growing up as a boy, as a young boy, I was raised in League City, Texas. Anyone know where League City is at? I was raised there until my dad transferred to, to uh, Livingston uh, in 74. I was 15 years old. But on occasions as a little boy, my parents would say, we are going to... Louisiana to visit my dad's family. His family was from Louisiana. It was a long trip from League City to Rose Pine, Louisiana. 
about 100, 185 miles. And for two little boys, uh, maybe age seven or eight, riding in the back seat of a car, that was a long ride. And I'm sure there were times when we would probably ask the question, uh, how much longer? Are we almost there? And my brother, my twin brother and I always knew uh, when we got into Rose Pine at the only caution light in that little town that we had one left turn. And once we made that left turn, it wasn't far up the road uh, that we would first uh, 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 be at my uncle, aunt, and cousin's home. The next home was my grandmother and my granddad's home. Then up the road was another aunt and uncle and cousins. But when we made that left turn, we knew we were almost there. I want to tell you tonight, church, we've made the left turn. We're almost home. We're almost to our destination. It's not going to be long. In Genesis chapter 24... There's an Old Testament story where Abraham went to his servant who is believed to be Eliezer. And he said to his servant, I want you to go uh, to my homeland and find a bride for Isaac. So Eliezer uh, went from, from Canaan uh, to a little city outside of Mesopotamia, Nahar. And when he stopped at the well, he had prayed that if whoever God would send there and water the camels would be God's choice for Isaac. Rebecca shows up at the well. And they, they begin conversation. She takes him to her father's house. And the decision is made to go back and unite with Isaac. What I want you to recognize here tonight is the journey from where uh, Rebecca was at back to where Isaac was at. Uh, the internet uh, will tell you different distances, uh, but it was at least 500 miles from Nahor uh, back to where Isaac was at. That's a long journey on the back of a camel. Come on, to ride a camel 500 miles. Think about that. Let that soak in for a minute. Brenda and I went to the Holy Land in the middle, uh, the mid-80s, uh, and they got me on the back of a camel, uh, amen, and then said we're going into the old city of Petra and put, put us on a little donkey to go in there. So I rode some things uh, in, that, in that, uh, uh, that area, but, but when, when Rebecca mounted that camel, I have to believe uh, that from the time that they left her home till the time that they got to where Isaac was at, uh, the journey being hot, hard, rough, dirty, Eliezer no doubt at times would speak to her and tell her about Isaac. He would probably encourage her during the journey. Come on. He would probably say things, no doubt, to her uh, that was drawing her heart closer to Isaac, although she's not seen him yet. 
And when they get to their destination, and she looks up, and Isaac is in the field meditating. And she says to Eliezer, who's the man in the field? And he said, that's Isaac. And the King James Version says, she lighted off of the camel, and she went to where he was at, amen, and became his bride. Can I say to you tonight, the Hebrew word for for uh, that appointed person to find a bride in old biblical days was Shadcan. And tonight, I want to tell you there's a heavenly Shadcan, the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. He's in search of a bride. Hallelujah. For, amen. For Jesus Christ. He's going throughout this world. Amen. And finding choice people who will follow him through the good, through the hard, through the difficult times uh, to get to the bride and bridegroom and when we see him like like oh hallelujah like Rebecca we're going to love him uh, we're going to adore him uh, it will be worth it all glory to God when we see Jesus Christ uh, hallelujah Ezekiel chapter 36 is where I want to take you tonight we'll begin here in Ezekiel 36, verse 24, Ezekiel gives a prophecy about 2,600 years ago. And Ezekiel says to the nation of Israel, I will gather you from among the, or I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. So there was a prophetic statement by Ezekiel that God was going to bring his people home. We turn to the next chapter, chapter 37. Uh, we recognize it uh, as the valley of dry bones. And we've preached a many a sermon, or many a sermon rather have been preached. Uh, amen. In revival times about the valley of dry bones. Uh, but really it has nothing to do with that. It was a prophetic statement by Ezekiel saying uh, to the people that you are going to be scattered. Uh, but he prefaced that by saying to them, uh, God's going to bring you back. You you will be scattered, but he's going to bring you back. In 70 A.D. they were scattered, and for about 1,900 years they were scattered all over the world. But the prophetic statement 2,600 years ago was fulfilled on May the 14th, 1948. God brought them home, hallelujah, and they became a recognized nation around the world. Glory to God. Now, if you take what Ezekiel said, I want to give you something, food for thought. I want you to understand and mark it down. I am in no way saying this is the day that Jesus will come because I will have all kind of opposition if I do. There will be those who rise up against me and say, Oh, no, 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 that preacher's off base. The Scripture says no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man shall come. I will, uh, I will uh, 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 stand uh, in agreement with that 
with the understanding that Paul made the statement to the Corinthian church and the followers thereafter that we are not in darkness that that day should overtake us as a thief. I believe there is understanding of the times that we are in and when we begin to tie together biblical prophecies and, and the times we are in, we recognize how close we are to the coming of Jesus. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 24, you find there where Jesus is answering the questions of the disciples. They had come out of the, the, uh, uh, the temple and Jesus had said to them, not one stone will be left upon another. And they asked him a question. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The first thing that Jesus says to them is see that you are not deceived. He alludes to deception three times in Matthew 24. If you know anything about Bible prophecy, you recognize that Matthew 24 does not indicate the times of the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds. There are signs that are parallel with Revelation beginning in Revelation chapter 6 of the judgments of God. There are 21 of them that are coming on this earth and Matthew 24 is a parallel beginning to Revelation chapter 6. But what we do see is that Jesus said these are the beginning of birth pains. So when you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your head. Your redemption draws near. But you come down to verse 32. There's something key in verse 32, 33, and 34. After Jesus had given explanation of the events that will transpire after the rapture of the church, he says this, now to learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is therefore tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Likewise, when you see all of these things happen, you know that it is near even at the door. For verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till they see all things fulfilled which I have spoken of. Listen to me tonight, church. There are difference of opinions about the, uh, 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 the, that passage of Scripture. One of the opinions is uh, that just as we recognize uh, that, that springtime, summer is coming uh, when trees begin to put on leaves uh, and we know that the summer is coming. Uh, that's one interpretation. The second interpretation uh, is the one that I hold to. Uh, I believe that Jesus uh, was referencing uh, the budding of the fig tree which was uh, a fulfillment uh, in May of 1948. Uh, and the fig tree budded when Israel became a nation. 
And Jesus goes further to say, This generation shall not pass till they see the things that I have spoken of you to you of fulfilled. Now, here's where we get into some controversy. Because many people have interpreted a, a generation to be about 40 years of a period of time. And they conclude that based upon the spies that were sent into Egypt. And when they came back, God uh, judged them uh, and sentenced them to 40 years uh, in the wilderness and said, this generation shall not inherit the land. Uh, and so they concluded that a generation is approximately 40 years. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Uh, in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, the Scripture says uh, that God has allotted man three score and ten years, 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is uh, for it, it is cut off, and we fly away. What G, what is being said here is that a generation of time is seventy to eighty years. It's the it's the period of that that uh, that man lives that God has allotted. I know there are some that go before that, some after. Generally, we understand that a generation is seventy to eighty years. Are you with me? Now, if it is a correct interpretation, and I realize that there are some who, who interpret these scriptures far different, but if it is a correct interpretation, it's food for thought. It should stir our soul even if it's not accurate. And I'm, I'm careful here because I've, I've said to God many, many, many times, uh, Lord, do not let me, uh, do not let me present something that's not accurate. But if that be the correct interpretation, uh, then the fulfillment of that generation uh, began in 2018. The end of that generation is 2028. We're just a little over four years away from the fulfillment of that period of time, if that's the correct interpretation. Now let me show you something uh, that's very interesting. It's found in the book of Leviticus uh, 25 and also in Exodus 23, I believe it is. Uh, when, when the people of Israel were, came out of Egypt, God established some laws with them. One of the laws um, was the law or the year of Sabbath or the Sabbath year. Meaning that every seventh year the nation of Israel was to let the land rest. They could not work the land. They could not, they could not produce a, a, a food. They were to let the land rest. And whatever it produced on its own, the poor could glean from that and those who were passing by. But God said, let that land rest on the seventh year. The Hebrew word for that is Shemitah. And you've probably heard that word. But when Israel became a nation in 1948, the first Shemitah, it's a year-long event. Let the land rest for a year. So the first Shemitah was in 1951 and went to 1952. Since then, there have been nine more. 
10 in total since Israel was recognized as a nation. The next Shemitah will begin in 2028. That's interesting, isn't it? See the connection to the fulfillment of that time period that I mentioned in Matthew 24? The next Shemitah will begin in 2028, which will be the 11th Shemitah. The, the number 11 in biblical numerology is judgment. Think about it. It's judgment. What's going to happen to this world when Jesus raptures this church out? The judgments of God are going to fall. And if we are accurate in interpreting uh, these numbers, uh, that means we have just a few more days, uh, hallelujah, to labor here. And Jesus is going to catch us away. And the judgments of God are going to fall on a wicked world that deserves the judgments of God. Hear me tonight, church. Jesus is coming. Uh, hallelujah. I said Jesus is coming. And he's coming very very soon glory to God in January of this year in January of this year a group of scientists moved the doomsday clock have you heard of the doomsday clock they moved the clock to 90 seconds to midnight that clock was created in 1947 by a group of scientists and today as they're looking at the events, the purpose for creating the clock uh, was as they recognized uh, the timing uh, of events that transpired in the world, the closer we got to self-annihilation, the closer they would move the hands to midnight. And so in, in January of this year, they moved the clock to 90 seconds uh, to, to Armageddon. That's their terminology. 90 seconds to Armageddon or self-annihilation through nuclear warheads. Now, the reason, they give four reasons as to why they move that clock closer to midnight. Number one, they said the escalation of of the war between Russia and Ukraine and the effects that it's having worldwide, they recognize the possibility of nuclear action taking place and they move the clock closer to annihilation. Listen, church, if we tie that in with Ezekiel 38 and 39, where Ezekiel moves from the prophecy in 36 to say, I'll bring you home after you are scattered. Then God gives him vision and says to him, there's going to be an event, chapter 38 and chapter 39. It's referred to as the Gog-Magog War. And it's spelled out. If you study that out, you understand, amen, that the leader of that coalition of nations will be Russia. The word Russia is not in in the Bible, but the word Rosh is in the Bible. The word Magog is in the Bible, which is interpreted 
interpreted Russia. And the chief prince of Magog is the leader of Russia. Today, Vladimir Putin is the leader of Russia. And he's gone against Ukraine. And they're believing that if he can defeat Ukraine, he'll set his sights on other countries and other nations and what he's going to do. I'm going to tell you that God's going to put a hook in his jaw according to Ezekiel 38. And he's going to pull him into Israel along with that coalition. But when God gets finished with them, five out of six of them are going to be dead. That's where this world is headed. Hear me tonight, church. We are so close to the coming of Jesus Christ that we need to be ready when he taught us. Lord, my Lord, I'm feeling something in this house tonight, Brother Cody. Jesus finished his teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. Again, let me say, that's one continuous teaching. It was not divided in in, in separate uh, chapters or separate teaching when Jesus was talking to the disciples. Uh, And when Jesus finished chapter 24... He began chapter 25 and he says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. We know the story. And he said, The five that are foolish ran out of oil. And they're saying to those who have oil, give us of your oil. You know the story well. But they said, no, you go buy oil or find oil for yourself. I believe what Jesus is saying there is to make sure that you stay full of the oil of God so that when the call comes forth, behold, the bridegroom is coming. He's coming after a church that's full of the oil of God, as I said this morning. Hallelujah. Now, the second reason they moved that, that the hands of that clock closer to midnight, Armageddon, self-annihilation, is because of the escalation in nuclear capabilities. There, until recent, uh, there were countries, India being one of them, who had no nuclear power, but it's known that even India has at least 16 nuclear warheads. Other nations as well. And so they're looking... Uh, around the world at the escalation of nuclear power and the countries that have it, uh, North Korea. And we can trust their leader, the leadership of North Korea about as far as we can throw him. China, many other nations, and they're looking at the escalation of nuclear capability, and they said, we're close to annihilation. They moved the hand. The third reason they gave is the risk of biological warfare and pandemics. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, there will be pestilence, which means in, uh, incurable diseases uh, during the end time. These scientists who know nothing about God recognize where the world is at. And the COVID pandemic uh, 
is believed to be the worst pandemic uh, this world has ever experienced. Not by death toll, but by the, the, uh, what it did to the world and bringing the world to its knees. I know you watched as much as I did, no doubt, in the effects that it was having uh, around the world. And they're saying, we're at risk for more pandemics. I was in a servant recently with a, a prophecy a preacher and teacher out of Oklahoma. I don't know where he got it and didn't get a chance to ask him. But he said there's, there's uh, pandemics, there's more of them that's coming. I realize they're going to come after Jesus takes his church away. But if he's referencing something else, I want to know what he's saying. But I can tell you this, regardless of what it is, uh, he has his church in his hands. Uh, we are his people. Hallelujah to God. He knows what's coming and he's watching over his people. Now, the fourth reason is what? What captured me the fourth reason they move that clock closer to the end is a vacuum of weakness in world leaders a vacuum of weakness in world leaders and what they are saying there is there's no world leaders that are dependable The World Economic Forum, if you read about it, it's, uh, it's an acronym of WEF, World Economic Forum, met together this year. And they said, what we need is one man that can lead this world and bring the world out of the crisis that it's facing today. What they're saying there, church... Uh, is they're looking for the man of sin, the Antichrist, that's going to rule. They're recognizing the need for someone that can take control and bring this world to a place of peace. It will not happen until the Prince of Peace comes back. Hallelujah. If you're, if you're looking at Scripture, turn over to Matthew chapter 23. Let me show you something. In verse 37, we remember the scripture where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And as he weeps, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent among you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathereth her chickens, and you would not. And your house is left unto you desolate. But then he makes a statement when he says, You will not see me again. Until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That is a powerful statement by Jesus. Blessed is he that cometh in the name. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have to turn to Romans chapter 11. I'm giving you a lot of scripture and I told you this morning that's what I'm going to do. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul is writing, and he, re he makes reference uh, to the fulfillment uh, of the time of the Gentiles. And then in verse 26, he says, all Israel shall be saved. It's a known uh, 
fact that two out of three Jews are going to die during the tribulation period of time. But yet Paul says all of Israel will be saved. They're going to recognize him. I asked that teacher, when is the time of the Gentiles fulfilled? And he gave me an answer. I disagreed with him, but I didn't say anything to him. Sometimes you know it's better just to keep your mouth closed. But I believe we're nearing the time when the Gentile period of time will be fulfilled and he's going to turn his attention to Israel. The reason I tell you that is because of the events that we have been watching uh, over the past few months. On October the 7th, when Hamas attacked Israel, invaded uh, that land uh, and killed all of those people violently, during that time, listen to this, they did that on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. There are seven feasts that God established with Israel in Leviticus chapter 23. Passover. Watch this. Jesus fulfilled Passover when he died. Unleavened bread. That was the second feast. He fulfilled that, that feast when he was buried. First fruits was fulfilled when he resurrected and he became the first fruits of them that sleep. The fourth uh, feast is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. That was fulfilled uh, when Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, prayed the Father, and the Holy Spirit came. Now, will you agree with me that Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts that God established in Leviticus 23? He died, he was buried, he rose again, and he sent the Holy Ghost. So he fulfilled the first four and it's believed by prophecy scholars that he will fulfill the next three. Let me skip to the sixth one, the Day of Atonement. That references the time of tribulation when God deals with the nation of Israel. The Feast of Tabernacles, the last one, is the time that he's going to dwell on this earth in the millennium, which leaves only one feast unfulfilled, and it's the Feast of Trumpets. Bible scholars believe that Jesus will come back during the Feast of Trumpets. I'm going to leave that with you for your consideration. There are men that I know that preach the gospel and they believe he will come back on the Feast of Trumpets. That prophecy teacher I was just listening to said the same thing. Every year, most always, it's during September that that feast is fulfilled. We'll leave that where it's at. He fulfilled the first four. He will fulfill the last two. Why wouldn't he fulfill the fifth one? But he, it was on the, during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is an eight-day celebration. And on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, throughout the temples around the world, the Jewish people were reading this verse of Scripture, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11. And in that Scripture, it teaches how corrupt the world was during Noah's day and that it was filled with violence. Read it. That's what it says. The word violence is translated from the Hebrew Hamas. 
And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. This world is filled with violence. Amen. And Jesus is about to come. As I looked at this uh, and in depth, uh, I asked the question, why? What was the purpose of Hamas uh, attacking Israel the way that they did? We have to go back to Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15. Both, both chapters, uh, God speaks to Abraham. Uh, he's known as Abram at the time. And he said to Abraham, uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you, an everlasting covenant with you and with your seed. And your seed is going to inherit a land forever. Why did Hamas attack Israel? Because if they can stop Israel and annihilate them, and there have been efforts to do so through the years. If they can annihilate Israel, then they stop God's word from being fulfilled and make God untrue and his word untrue. And so they've attacked Israel with their declaration that Israel will be annihilated when they formed their group they made that statement that we will annihilate Israel what they've said is we're coming against God Almighty God established in Genesis that he was going to bring those people to the land and they would inha inhabit that land. Now, we go to Genesis chapter 21 because it's there that something very interesting happens. Uh, 25 years uh, passed from the time that God said to uh, Abram, your seed is going to inherit a land. And so, in the process of time, Abraham and Sarah decide that they will, they will intervene here, and she gives her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham. Ishmael's born. In chapter 21 of Genesis, the day that Isaac had grown and he was being weaned, the Bible says that Ishmael mocked him. He persecuted the covenant seed the day that Isaac was being weaned. So we go back all the way to the beginning of the book and we find out that there's been persecution and throughout history efforts, attempts to annihilate Israel. Why? Because the devil knows something uh, that many have never understood. That if he can kill them and annihilate them, then he will keep Jesus Christ from coming back to this earth and fulfilling the promise that he made. But I'm here to tell you, he's not going to do it. Jesus is going to come uh, and fulfill the promises that he's made. Uh, glory, he said to the, to, to the disciples, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, if you believe in God, 
believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am. I mentioned to you this morning that outside of my wife, my, my best friend was my twin brother. We went everywhere together. I took him. Uh, diabetes had, had blinded him. He was, he was uh, uh, legally blind in one eye. Had a, a kidney and a pancreas transplant. Uh, his health was so critical. He was falling all the time. And his wife would call my wife and say, Look, Rodney wants to go to a convention, but he can't go unless your husband takes him. And I'd say to Brenda, I'm busy, but I'd take Rodney and we'd enjoy time together. Amen. On many, many trips. Uh, I got to talk to him once or twice before they put him on a ventilator on the phone. His voice had been so altered uh, by the oxygen and the condition he is in. He had such a high-pitched voice. Uh, and when he died, I'm standing in the cemetery before they're going to lower him in the ground. I walked over to where that casket was at. And I said, Rodney, it won't be long. I'll see you again in just a matter of days. He's coming, hallelujah. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I want to show you something that I mentioned as I began this tonight. September of last year. You, you read and saw where the red heifers were delivered from the states to Israel. According to the Levitical law. No individual who had come in contact with a dead person uh, could enter the temple. Without being, it was called the, sep the water of separation. And what they did is they took the ashes of a red heifer and mixed it with the pure water and sprinkled it upon uh, an individual who had come in contact with a dead person. Uh, on the third day and on the seventh day, they were declared clean. But the Jewish rabbis have, have made the statement, there is no person on this earth that is clean who has the right, biblical right, to go into the temple and offer sacrifices. That heifer has to be presented first. There were five of them, but I understand that they've taken two of them in an undisclosed place that they're watching. Because Scripture does not give us the information um, some of the rabbis have said that the calves had to be two years and one day old others have said two years and a month old and yet there are still yet there are others who said they have to be three years old well in September of this year they were almost two years old so sometime between now and possibly next September if these calves qualify, they will be slaughtered, burned, and their ashes will be taken and mixed with pure water to qualify a priest to go in and offer the sacrifices for Israel. Now, 
If we go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it tells us there that the man of sin will make a covenant with Israel for seven days or for seven years. But in the midst of that covenant, he will go into, the, uh, into that temple. It's known uh, as the, uh, the uh, desecration of, help me, the abomination of, desola- of desecration. He will go in and the scripture says he will stop the sacrifices. You can't stop something that has not started. So sometime between now and the time he, he makes a covenant with Israel, the sacrifices will begin. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, God tells John, go measure the temple. Well, John is writing Revelation around 95, 96 A.D., and the temple was destroyed in around 70 A.D. So there is no temple to measure. So what was God telling John to do when there was no temple or there is no temple? He's telling him to measure a temple that is coming. That third temple is going to be built. And Jewish rabbis are saying it cannot be built until... There is an offering of a red heifer. Oh, hear me, church. It's believed that this is already prefab. They have it together, and they can put it together very quickly. But it's awaiting the time in which they can qualify a priest, and he will go in to offer the offerings. I believe we're, we're watching prophecy unfold. Amen. As we're here today, don't take it lightly. It's announcing the coming of the kings, of the king of kings. Hallelujah. It's saying to the church, look up, lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. All of these things together are saying, uh, these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, Be ready because I'm coming. Now, I found some information that is very interesting. I I could not, I can't memorize it, so I'm going to have to share some of it with you uh, by reading in part. All of you are familiar with, uh, with, the term artificial intelligence, AI. Are you, are you familiar with that? Let me get to it. I, uh, I, I put so much information together, and, and Brenda says, I don't know why you do that. You don't use it anyway. We were preaching at a church not too long back. And I said to her, here, take these notes. That's too many to stick under my Bible. And I handed them to her, and she said, what are we going to do with this book? I had about 69, 72 pages of notes. Imagine that's a lot of them. Listen to this. Artificial intelligence is so advanced that evil men can use it to rule the entire world. Scientists who are involved with artificial intelligence ask their computer what it wanted to do. And the computer said, I want to kill who I want to kill. 
the Microsoft new being artificial intelligence said it wanted to create a deadly virus and have nuclear codes. And the most revealing conversation with these supercomputers was when the machine claimed it was a fallen angel and disembodied. That's interesting because the chat box GBT, which stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer, actually said it was a disembodied spirit of the Nephilims. And the Nephilims were the soulless creatures in Noah's day. The offspring of fallen angels who were half human and half devil. And only Noah and his family escaped that evil time. And now artificial intelligence is saying, I am really a disembodied spirit. I read where Elon Musk made several statements. I can find it. In the conversation with the United Kingdom Prime Minister during the AI Safety Summit at Bletchley Park on November the 2nd, Elon Musk warned AI would soon pave the way for a future in which working will be optional, which could prove to be a blessing and a curse in itself. He's been among the most prominent voices warning about the advent of AI in everyday life. In an interview with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson in April, Elon Musk revealed that Google co-founder Larry Page told him he hoped to build an AI superintelligence that Elon Musk described as a digital god. And there's far more information that I, I won't go into any more in depth in sharing with you. But I related what is being said today to the book of Revelation. In chapter 13, the man of sin has taken control of this world. He goes into the temple and desecrates the temple. And the false prophet who is performing supernatural works, uh, bringing people in allegiance uh, to the Antichrist, uh, says at this point in time, we will build an image uh, of the beast, put it in the temple, and will cause it to speak and have the ability to kill mankind. When I read Revelation 13, and then I'm reading the news of today, and I'm putting it together and relating that, recently, Brenda and I took, met our son, his wife, and our three grandchildren, uh, and he, being a preacher himself, I was sitting with him and I said to him, do you believe he's a computer genius? That's what he majored in. And I said to him, 
Son, do you believe that it's possible that AI could have something to do with the fulfillment of Revelation 13 in the image of the beast? And he looked at me and he said, Dad, yes, it's possible. It is possible. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. Everything that's happening around us right now is saying to the church, it's almost over. It's almost over here. And if we're not ready to meet Jesus Christ, we need to get ready because he's coming. Jesus is coming after his church. And if putting all of these dates and times and scripture together, if we've interpreted the scripture correctly, we do not have but just a matter of days, so to speak. And the master's coming. The master's coming. I'm going to close by going back to Matthew 23, verse 39, where Jesus said to the Jews, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That time will occur at the closing of Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes back here mounted on a white horse and the church is with him. Hallelujah. Israel's going to recognize him. They'll recognize him, I believe, during the time of, of Ezekiel 38, 38, 9, the Gog, Magog War, when they see how God divinely intervenes. And that's the purpose of his intervention, is to cause Israel to recognize who he is. When he comes back, they're going to know him for who he is. Listen, church, I want to be ready. I told you this morning, and I'm going to close. I was born again in 71 at the age of 13. I've walked with God for 52 years or thereabout. Yeah, fi over 52 years. His grace has kept me all that time. And I've consistently went before Him, said to Him, Lord, Wash me in your blood. Cleanse me. Don't let anything prevent me from being ready for your coming. And as I preach to you this morning, it's my purpose, my practice, on a very, very, very consistent basis to pray in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads before God. Father, I for the privilege and opportunity to share with this church tonight. I pray, God, that you would search our hearts, each one individually. Help us to be prepared for your coming. We believe it's very, very soon. Talk to us, Holy Spirit. With your heads bowed for just a moment, I want to ask, is anyone here tonight that does not know Jesus Christ? Lift up your hand. I'd like to pray with you if you are here. 
anyone. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I take it by your response. Everyone in here is, is, is born again. What I would like to do is ask you to come and join me here in the front. Spend some time with Jesus. Allow him to speak to your heart. Uh, would you come now and join me uh, around these altars and spend time with him. Uh, talk to him. Let him speak to you.